Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Fabo and Joel Frucci. The year has concluded. It's been a weird year. It's been an interesting year. We've had some slams with no points and we've had some players miss a lot of slams due to weird beliefs that we can't quite get our head around still, but we do move on. It's the end of 2022 and you know what that means. It is our yearly review show on Breakpoint Podcast. Val Febo here with you and joining me as he always does. But this time, there's a twist. We're not actually on Zoom. I reckon it's the first time in four years that we've actually gotten to do a show in the same room. Joel Frucci sitting across the table from me. How are you? I'm good, Val. There's, I'm just trying to do the maths here. There's what, probably about 60, maybe 70 centimetres between us. Yep. Yeah, it feels good. It's probably been about four years since we, we did a show in person. Funnily enough, that was in Brunswick too. Probably yep. the, sh- the shit part of Brunswick. We're in a bit, a bit better part of Brunswick now. Well, this is Brunswick um, West. Yeah, we're in the in the Febo Castle at the moment. Yep. Um, yeah, but mate, it's good to see you. What's going on? Not much. Not much. Just, um, yeah, sort of winding down before Christmas and yep. getting everything, getting the affairs in order and shopping and all that sort of fun stuff, which I actually don't <laughs> mind doing. I don't mind spending hours of my day at shopping centres and you know, just trying myself not to buy anything when I'm buying things for other people. But um, no, nah, it's been it's been good. And how about yourself? Everything going well and heading into the uh, yes. festive season? Yes. Um, yeah, winding down from, from work. Things are starting to slow a bit, which is nice. Looking forward to a bit of R&R over summer. Yep. And um, yeah, you, we were talking about it before and you, you kind of blew my mind when you said there's only a couple of weeks actually until the United Cup starts, which is... Uh, which is amazing. It feels like um, mm. this season's only just finished, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that event. It's gonna be great. It's so it it is strange because you know we, we are heading into Christmas. We're in mid December, and then we look at oh yeah, there's only two weeks. Usually it's around you know sometimes the Hotman Cup used to start around the you know 29th or 30th of of December, but we're starting on the 28th in Perth, in Sydney, yeah. and in Brisbane, and we're going to see the United Cup, which we have spoken about already, having men and women from um, from their respective uh, bodies, and the best players will be there. And uh, Australia, I think, is named Leighton Hewitt and Sam Stozer as the the captains for uh, for the Aussie Royalty. team. So, yeah, pretty much, pretty much three Grand Slams between them, and a lot of other things as well. But look, it is the review show, Joel. And actually, just before th- I mentioned the Hotman Cup, <laughs> now. Yeah. What city do we associate that with? We associate it with Perth. Yep. Now, <laughs> it's back next year. <laughs> it's so weird. But it's not in Perth. <laughs> it's going to be played in Nice, um, I think leading into the French Open or just after, which I find the most bizarre thing ever. This is something that has been a f- like oh, folklore in Australia. You know, yeah. you always watch the Hotman Cup. It was always the first thing to start because of just the – the way the event was structured. It's the week after Wimbledon, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah, week there after the French, maybe. Yeah. I, I can't it's quite remember. But at it's a, some sort of ridiculous time. But I'm thinking maybe, um, you know, seeing as everything is, you know, in tennis is bloody Europe-centric these days, maybe mm. they were just like, oh, you know, Perth's got a beach and nice weather and, you know, lots of yeah. good-looking people strutting around. Let's just pick a place like that in Europe. Oh, bang, nice. Let's put it yeah, there. Yeah, well, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I think that's that's the... I don't know. It's it's very strange. It's uh, so and weird. it'll forever be Australia's Hotman Cup. It's named after an Australian. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll digress yeah. anyway. But uh, look, well, let's move on. The the men the men's season. It was one of the more remarkable seasons that I think we've seen in in recent years. We saw, yes, the big three did win three of the four slams. One of them is now no longer Roger Federer, which we will get to. But um, 
Rafa winning the first two, elevating himself above Roger and Novak with 22 slams. Novak gets another one in what was the most bizarre of Wimbledon campaigns oh, yeah. that I can remember. And then we get to the young Spanish bull. Carlos Alcaraz wins the US Open, captures the hearts of the world, finishes the year world number one at just 19 years of age. Rafa is number two at 36. So 17 <laughs> years between them. Rafa was playing on the tour before Carlos Alcaraz was born, um, which is quite remarkable. He had his first point before Alcaraz was had even exited the womb. So... <laughs> Un- unreal, but we'll start with Carlos and what he was able to do this season. And it started at the Australian Open. The platforms were there. He won one title in 21, but then he comes up against Matteo Berrettini at the Australian Open and Matteo wipes him off the court in the first two sets. But then Carlos manages to fight back and get himself into a fifth. And he had the crowd eating out of his palm that day. It was quite, it was quite unbelievable to watch. Forces it to a fifth set tiebreak. Berrettini gets the better of him, makes a semi-final. So pretty good effort. Then they meet a month later in February in Rio. Alcaraz wins his second title, but that's an ATP 500 event in Rio. So things are starting to tick over. That week he beats uh, Schwame Muna, Del Bonis, uh, Berrettini, Fonini, and Schwartzman. That's a good week. Belt Schwartzman. Then enters Indian Wells. Defeats defending champion Cam Norrie and inform Gail Monfils. Pushes Rafa all the way. Rafa wasn't beaten at that point until he would be the next match. So first Masters 1000 semi-final. Then he goes on, wins Miami, wins uh, defeats Fucevic, Cilic, Tsitsipas, Ketsmanovic, Herkash, and Rude. It's not a bad run, is it, that one? No. And that's when he sort of announces himself and says, I am, I am here to stay. Mm. Then he ends up winning Barcelona, another 500 event. Then he takes down Basilashvili, Nori, Nadal, Djokovic, and Zverev to win in Madrid. <laughs> so things are starting to tick along. First Grand Slam quarterfinal at the French. Round of 16 at Wimbledon loses to Yannick Sinner in what is going to be one of the great rivalries from what we've seen, the small oh, yes. sample size. And we'll get to their match oh, of the yes. US Open. Loses the Hamburg final to Lorenzo Musetti. Uh, loses the Umag final to Yannick Sinner. So he's played a few finals. Then he gets to the US Open, and this is the tournament, really. Defeats Sebastian Baez in the first round, although Baez retired. Federico Coria, a tough match against Jensen Brooksby. Then he gets Chilich in five from a set down in the from a breakdown in the fifth. Then he gets Yannick Sinner, and we're going to talk about this after this, uh, after talking about the US. Sinner in five in I think the se- the second longest match in US Open history, latest ever finish. Then he beats Tiafo in five. And then he gets Casper Rude in four in a match that was, well, for the winner, had a first Grand Slam title and the number one ranking. So we haven't had a match like that for a long time in terms of a major and number one. We had Rafa, oh, sorry, Novak, Novak and Andy playing in 2016 at the year-end finals. They were the last, um, whoever won that would be the world number one. But that was, that was the year-end finals. This is something different. But both still significant in, in their own right. But... That US Open, I think, yes, Medvedev won it last year, beat Novak for, for the title, derailed his Grand Slam. But this is, uh, this, did this feel different to you? Yeah, look, it, it did a little bit because, you know, I, I kind of I kind of look at the men's tour and I, I really see, and I'm sure you're the same, Val, we, we've kind of got these three kind of brackets of 
of uh, of players who can contend for for majors. We've got sort of the old guard, mm-hmm. the the big three, or the, well, as it was, the big three, the big two. Sad face. Uh, then we've got kind of the in quotation marks what was the next gen, and then we've got the next gen, the new next gen, um, and. The fact that kind of the fact that Carlos kind of bypassed everyone, um, probably with with the exception of you know someone like Medvedev and and, and team who obviously had a, a well we didn't really see him because he's yeah. had so many injuries but the fact that Carlos was able to bypass those guys and get that slam I think was really really significant um, because if if we didn't think it already that uh, the likes of you know, Sitsipas and Zverev, that their time was was fast running out. Um, it, it kind of magnified it that the guys that, that are behind them have already caught up, um, and there's some like Yannick Sinner that really are right on the coattails of of someone like like Carlos, who's already gone past them. Um, yep. So I, I think that's that's really significant, um, and what that's done, um, and I think it really bodes well for 2023, um, is Carlos's rapid rise um, has absolutely piled the pressure on those guys. It's If it wasn't already, it's it's really time for them to to get their act together because, um, you know, we've, we, we know we know who's coming through um, and, uh, you know, we've, we thought that maybe it was going to get easier for them now that um, obviously Roger's gone, um, Novak and, and Rafa are, are ageing. Um, mm. you know, I, I guess Rafa... He's probably a little bit more broken these days, and yep. he's he's a dad. Novak, not many signs of slowing down quite yet, but they're certainly not getting any younger. So you would expect that as those guys age, things would get easier. But anything but. Um, they still won three slams this year between them. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and the, the new guard are, are catching up. It's it's not going to be uh, not going to be a, a walkover for them by any means. Certainly not. And and you look at what Alcaraz has been able to do in 2022. Next year, I feel as though it'll probably be much the same. I think we'll still get the same tennis, the same intensity, the same passion. Whether his body can hold up, I think he played a lot of tennis this year. And I think now yeah. that he's entrenched himself in the top 10, he can sort of dictate his schedule a little bit more. So yep. he's got the name. He can kind of dictate what he wants to do. Appearance fees will now come to him which I think is really important for someone that young. He can really set himself up. And he's already won a slam. He's already been to world number one. And I think he's already sitting at more weeks now than Daniel Medvedev did um, this year, which is quite quite impressive. Yeah. So and I just a, dropped something. <laughs> and as a fan, I, I, I guess with someone like Carlos, what you, what you really hope for is with someone that's still that young and has achieved something so significant so early – you really kind of just want them to keep rising. But I guess yeah. the, the challenge for him is that there's really not a whole lot further that he can rise. So it's kind of about maintaining what he's now created because what we hate as fans is seeing young players achieve something amazing and then kind of dive bomb off the cliff. We never want to see that. So exactly. that's the big challenge for him. But this is what I think him and his coaching staff, one Carlos Ferrero included, they need to set other targets. And they need to yeah. say, okay, this is how many titles I want to win this year. He's only won one slam. so Yeah, there's still three to get. Yeah, well, exactly right. He's won the US. The French is probably the one now that I see him winning next. Maybe the Australian, but look, Novak Djokovic goes into the Australian Open as the heavy favourite. I'm yeah, sure everybody to, would to. echo echo that sentiment. 
still got to contend with Rafa. He's still got to contend with, you know, the likes of Sissipas. Zverev comes back, so he adds another string to his... Well, you know, Zverev sort of adds another layer of difficulty because when he went down with his ankle, he was pushing Rafa to the absolute brink at Roland Garros. So who knows what would have happened in that encounter. We'll get to Zverev, but I think you raise a really good point, Joel, because you look at the top 10 now. Alcaraz, Nadal, Rude, Tsitsipas, Djokovic, Felix Auger-Aliassim, Daniel Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Taylor Fritz, Hubert Hercash. Sitting on the precipice now, Holger Runa. What a rise. And Alexander Zverev. So Zverev, obviously the injury, 14 Nori, 15 Sinner, 16 Berrettini. All those guys, Berrettini, Sinner, Zverev, Runa, all I can see them getting back into the top 10. And Mateo, very unlucky with his injuries this year. Yeah. I think he won two consecutive events on grass after the French Open, then had to pull out of Wimbledon with an injury, which was so cruel for him, especially considering the form that he was in. But you look at the top 10 now, and you raise such a good point because Tsitsipas, Rublev, Zverev, they were the next gen, the original next gen. They haven't won a slam yet. Mm. And I think the original next gen tournament was 2017. So... What worries me is, you know, Zverev, Zverev is probably the best chance to do it. Tsitsipas has won, you know, his Masters 1000 events. He's, you know, he's been thereabouts and he's been to number three in the world, won the year-end finals. But what, where, where can they go and how, how much of a body blow would that have been for them to see Alcaraz, who is five years the junior of Tsitsipas and six years the junior of Zverev, yeah. go past them? And takes that take that slam. There's no doubt that it would have been a body blow, but I think for them, if you're in their shoes, um, and look, I'm no coaching guru, and I, I won't claim to be, but if I'm in their shoes, I think you can look at it two ways. You have got the negative way; it's like, mm. oh crap, he's gone past me. Like you know, it's um, it's a disaster, you know. But I think for them, they need to kind of channel it yeah. and think of it in a positive way as a bit of a kick up the ass and go, boy, I, I've got to do something here. Like yeah. this, this guy's gone past me. Um, you know what's what's he done? How's he got there? Um, you know, it's not necessarily saying that those guys have to go and emulate Carlos's game or anything. They've no. all got their own strengths, um, but I think those guys just have to look at it in a positive light. Um, and you know, we've, we're, we've come to the end of 2022. 2023 is a new start, and they've they've just got to go again. And if you look at someone like Stefan Ositipas, for example, um, we're we're coming into the Australian summer. He should absolutely froth this time of year. He's coming to Melbourne. Should be his favourite Grand Slam. Three semis in a row. Yeah, three semis in a row. It's oh, a four. No, yeah, no, sorry, three out of the last four. Yeah, three out of the last four. It's importantly, it's essentially a home slam for him. Mm. So if if you're in a way, yeah, in a way, yeah. I mean, there's the, the largest Greek population. I think it's outside of Athens. Um, is is in Melbourne. Um, and yeah, he, this is probably his his time. I think I'd be really looking for him to. To make an impact. And then um, if you look at the rest of the field, someone like Alexander Zverev, I think he's really kind of got the, the, the game to probably go on, on most surfaces and really compete mm. at the pointy end. I think for him, um, again, um, it, all, it always just comes back to what's between the ears for him. Yep. Um, I think whenever I, I look at him, uh, got all the tools, but it's just always that one thing for him that I, I kind of look at and think, has he got it together upstairs enough to make a, a serious tilt for, for a major title, which yep. isn't always the case. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing him 
you know, crack into another final and give himself a chance. Um, yep. But, you know, I've always sort of got my doubts there. And unfortunately for, for uh, Bwe, uh, <laughs> as much as I, I, I love watching him play, I, I just I can't ever see him cracking through. I, I think no. he'll – I feel like he'll kind of be sort of the, the 2020s answer to David Ferrer in, in a sense. Um, yeah, uh, with a bit more power, I with think. A, yeah, with a, with a little bit more power, but – I guess kind of in a in a similar mold, um, mm. kind of physically, but he's got the weapons though. That, that's he does. the one thing that that helps him. But the problem is when he's up against an Alcaraz or a Nadal or even a Casper Ruud. Now you back all the others in, and Rublev he had a great year this year. He won multiple titles, and the way that he was able to sort of get over all the mental struggles earlier this season, which the, I think the war in Russia was obviously affecting him and yeah, clearly. could have had an effect on Daniel Medvedev as well because we'll get to him and sort of the, the downward spiral that his year took. But Rublev still won four titles this year and still had had a moderately okay season. You know, obviously no Masters 1000 titles, but he won in Marseille, won in Dubai, Belgrade and Guillaume in Spain. But... Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that he's probably the one that, that might not get there. And I think when you look at the finish to the season of Felix Auger-Aliassime, he yeah, won yeah. back-to-back-to-back titles, which had, I think, I don't think that had been done since Andy did it in 2016. Mm. So to be the first player in six years to do it when he'd only previously won one title out of 10 or 11 in his career, 10 finals, it was a staggeringly good effort. And then to make the Paris semifinals, probably a little bit burned out after that, but then won the Davis Cup with Denis Shapovalov, mm. Vasek Pospisil and co. So you look at what he put together and how good his Australian Open was earlier this year when he pushed Daniel Medvedev to the brink and probably, well, arguably should have won that match from two sets up. Definitely should have. So you look at him, then you look at Taylor Fritz's consistent body of work this season. Um, and then... Yannick Sinner. So that that Alcaraz Sinner match, I think, was the one for the future. Yeah, absolutely. I, I could see. I don't think anything's ever going to compare to Fidel. No, um, incomparable. But I, I, in terms of the next major male tennis rivalry that we're going to see, I, I could easily picture those two guys. Um, two young players again. Two Europeans. Uh, all the weapons um, and. Obviously, Carlos, as we've already spoken about, reached the summit already. Can see Yannick Sinner getting there. I think the th- the thing with him, I, I still see some physical growth for him. Yep. Um, I think that's his his major thing. That um, if he can just get a little bit more meat on the bone, yeah. Um, sort of without kind of um, uh, you know, I guess br- sort of reeling back his other strengths, which I, I don't think he'll do. I, I think that's the next big thing for him. But um, an- another name you mentioned there, Val, was uh, was Felix. I think he's an interesting one. I think he kind of sits right in the middle of that kind of Venn diagram of sort of the 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 missed next gen and the, yep. the, the new next gen. He's kind of like right in the middle. And this is great yeah. radio, by the way. We're talking about a Venn diagram on radio. Um, but I feel like he's podcast. Kind of, yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But I feel like he's he's kind of like right in the middle. He's he sort of fits into both categories. But yep. um, I'll I'll just I'm gonna you know what I'm gonna. I'm going to early crow my my prediction for 2023. I think he's going to win a slam. Yeah, I the stats would be with you, and the form would suggest that he's probably he's ready. 
the way that he finished the year, the confidence in which he's playing, I think he's very ready to go on and win a slam. He's won those titles now. He's yep. been there. He's made a Grand Slam semifinal, almost made another one at the AO this year, which we alluded to. Had some pretty poor results in the middle of the year. We're not, we can't sugarcoat that. It was a yep. disastrous Wimbledon and US Open campaign for him. But I really do think that we are going to see the best of Felix Auger-Aliassime and, and probably a sign of what's to come. So the ATP is in really good hands. And then you go to the, you know, there's always what you don't know and what you don't know will happen. But what we do know is that Rafa and Novak are still going to be there and they're still going to be competitive. I think the 2022 AO final is arguably Rafa's greatest ever win. Could even eclipse oh, that yeah. at 2000. And, I think 2008 Wimbledon probably just that little bit above, considering that he showed and what Bastien told us last week, that he wasn't a one-trick pony, that he could play on other surfaces and that he was the world number one. Yeah. But this... Hadn't won an Australian Open in 13 years. Comes back from two sets down and love 40 down at 2-3 serving. The match was done. And he came back and I don't know how he did it and I never will. (laughs) But Medvedev was the form player on tour at that point in time and would be world number one three weeks later. It was a sensational win. And Rafa, that, that final will go down as one of the greatest. And then he goes on and dominates the French yet again. Um... Can he can he possibly get to Margaret Court's twenty four? We've talked we've talked about Serena doing it. But Rafa's one slams this year, I know his injury problems are there, but and prevalent, but it'd be silly to write him off at Roland Garros. You just can't, can you? No. Um the, the first thing that has to be said is I'm so glad that Rafa kind of had his own version of Roger Federer's 2017. Yeah, that uh, me, of, t- me too. That renaissance. Um, so it's nice that they kind of that they both had that. Um, mm. Yeah, I, look, we, we've learned that you just can never write Rafa off, whether it's at Roland Garros, he practically owns that place, or 14 titles, 14, or anywhere else, really. Mm. Um, we look at the second half of the year. Yes, the injuries are there. Um, Mini Rafa's come along. Uh, clearly, in the second half of the season, that had an effect on him. He looked, you know, tired and injured. I think um, Wimbledon broke him. I, yeah. I I would not be surprised next year we see Rafa play the Australian summer. He's had time off to recover, recuperate. Mm. We see him play, take February, maybe even March completely off and then play the clay court season. Full tilt to Roland Garros. Skip Wimbledon, where he's had the least amount of success over the last 12 years then go to the US Open, which is his second most successful Grand Slam. Yeah. And, I mean, it makes sense at this point of his career. Mm. Certainly not getting any any younger. Um, yeah. Well, Roger did it. Skip well, the French. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we talk about we talk about Junior Rafa coming in. I mean, clearly at the start, it's, you know, probably a period of adjustment for him. But yeah. how many other players have we seen that have kids? I mean, there's, there's really no reason why that has to be any form of, um, you know, a barrier for him. So Not at all. Um, well, Novak's winning yeah. slams with... With two kids, Roger won them with four. Yeah, so, exactly. So yeah, so it's and Andy Murray, uh, I, I think Andy Murray had his best season after he'd had one child. So you know, it's it's there for, it's there for Rafa, and I think it, and I do think Margaret Court's record is is possibly there for him. Yep. Because at the French Open, you're right; it'd be stupid to write him off. You can't. The way that he goes about his business at Roland Garros, and we saw it, and <sighs> I, I saw it this year, the statue that they had. Um, of him there, and you look at the bottom, they've got 
all of the years that he's won it and who he beat. And it just the list goes on mm. forever. If if anything, when Roland Garros comes around, you'd be you'd be stupider for not picking him to win it mm. because that's just the way it is now. Exactly. Ro- Roland Garros comes around, who's gonna win? Bang, Rafa. Rafa. And then there's Novak, who I think kind of has now embraced his role as the villain. Oh. Because I think sh- if you see I think he already did. He did, but I feel as though this year he kind of has played more with that them against me mentality mm. um, or me against them because you see with the celebrations, they're more over the top than what we normally see from Djokovic when he does something good and, you know, the screaming yeah. and it, it, the passion is there and he's up for the fight. Yeah, and I and think next yeah. year, sorry to cut you off, I think right, next year he missed two slams this year. And one wasn't awarded points in which he won. So he (laughs) elevated himself above Federer, moved into second outright. But his ranking, he still sits on 4,820 points. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that he will win two next year. That's not even my prediction. I just think this is a (laughs) foregone conclusion. He doesn't lose in Melbourne. He doesn't lose at Wimbledon anymore. And the French in the US, who knows what's going to happen. But, yeah, I, I think um, I think he's just someone that you just have to be so careful of whenever you play him because he's just such a danger. And he, as you said, he's got no signs of slowing down. Yeah, well, I don't think – I think – and, yeah, we talk about how things evolve. But with, with Novak, if you look at the way that he's going about his tennis, it's probably a strength for him in the fact that his tennis hasn't changed at all, really. No. Uh, he's he's still exactly the same. The way that he moves, uh, the way that he plays, that that sort of defense into offense in a, in an instant. Yeah. Um. No one does it that I've ever seen as well as well as no. he as well as he does. No one moves as well as he does that I've ever seen. No. Um. And nothing's changed there, and there's nothing to suggest that that's going to change anytime soon. So, when the Australian Open rolls around, unless something absolutely calamitous happens, uh, it's impossible to pick against him at this point. It really is because when we when we talk about players that own slams, Novak at the moment owns Melbourne Park. He does. Yep, and and it's exactly right. And I think you can look at the year, and I think I, I saw this from Bastian a couple of weeks ago. Carlos Alcaraz finishes the year as world number one. Rafa finishes as the player of the year. And Novak finishes it as the best player in the world. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best way to look at it. I think so. That Alcaraz has kind of come in and, at, for the moment, made his own big three. And I think we haven't spoken about Casper Ruud enough and what he was able no, to do this haven't. season. Two slam finals. I think the first player outside the big four to do that, um, to make two slam finals in a year, since I reckon it would have been one Carlos Ferrero in 2003 which is absolutely <laughs> insane. 19 years. The first player in 19 years to do that. So an amazing feat from Casper in the year that he put together. He's only 23. So fingers crossed we can see him go go on and, and push for slams next year as well. But yeah. And just to touch on Casper very quickly, yeah. though, before we move on, really nice to see him prove as well that he's not a one-trick pony. I agree. Because all the talk was about him just being a, a pure clay quarter. Mm. Um, he's been able to do it on other surfaces, which is great. Exactly right. Well, won the US Open, or sorry, US Open final, made the final of the ATP finals, Roland Garros final, and the Miami final as well this year. So an impressive season, well, more than mightily impressive season from Casper Ruud. Holger Runa wins in Paris. 
uh, an amazing year for him. Just, I think, four titles for him. The, the young Dane all happened after we had him on the show. Yeah. Just... Just saying, um, and highlighted by his rise into the top ten. So Holger Rune, he's going to push next year as well. One other player that I want to ask you about, or there's two, but Nick Kyrgios. Oh, now <laughs> he he seems also in this me against them mentality at the moment with his social media. Didn't win the Newcom Medal. Ash Barty took it. Nick wasn't even nominated. Um, but him and Kokonakis were voted the fans' favourites uh, doubles team for the year by the ATP or by the ATP fans, which is quite interesting because the fans are starting to embrace him, even though he would tell you otherwise because he would always tell you otherwise. But I think next year we might, and this is going to shoot me in the foot for saying it, <laughs> but we might actually see the best of Nick Kyrgios because he made a Grand Slam final this year and was a setup. Mm. You just don't yeah. know, though. That's the problem. Yeah, you, you can tell that just the way that I kind of was thinking about that, that I'm still sort of a little bit caught up with Nick. And I, uh, Yeah, exactly. I don't know what to think. Yeah, um, because, look, the reality is that he he is good for tennis uh, in, this, in the way that, you know, he brings this kind of charisma yep. to the court and gets the, gets the crowd involved, draws people to tennis. I think there's no doubt that... Casual tennis fans probably lean into Nick's brand more than sort of rusted on tennis fans, so to yep. speak. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's just still the kind of flashes from Nick that I, I just can't get around. Yeah, um, I, I'm and the even, same. Yeah, and even even like just just this week they've started promoting the the Australian Open on on the radio and, and things mm-hmm. like that, and they're they're sort of leaning heavily on on the special K's and and then their run to the the doubles title. Last year, which I, th- I think is great, there's you know obviously you'd use that like which which marketer wouldn't yeah. lean on something like that to get locals through through the door, um, but in that ad they talk about um, I, I think records records broken and also rackets broken. I just I just don't like no that part of it that that's still so um, closely connected to his brand. Um, like that's that's just not the kind of message that we want to send to kids that want to play tennis um to people that we want to hook into tennis like sure it might look cool but it's we don't want people going around smashing rackets yeah. and and there's and there's a lot to use the word shithousery yeah there's a lot of shithousery but we, we we just we can't have people going around smashing rackets but we don't it's want no too good. much of it yeah we want that healthy balance where you know you can see a little bit of that like marit safin he used to smash rackets all the time but he backed it up Nick backed it up for a year, but mm. what can he do from now on? Yeah, that's well, the question. Well, really, yeah. he did it for one or two tournaments: the Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. Made back-to-back quarterfinals, first Aussie to do that since Hewitt in '06. Mm. So mighty fine effort. Yeah, but now you've got to be consistent. You talk the talk every day. Now walking the walk yeah. is the biggest challenge. This is the biggest year of Nick Kyrgios's career. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're bang on. And in fairness to Nick as well, he was. Unbelievable in 2022, like not just on the double circuit, but also in singles. And we obviously made it to the final of Wimbledon. Speaks for itself, yeah. right? And he's always had the capability of doing that, especially on that surface. That serve is otherworldly. It's unbelievable. And and not only that, just his his repertoire of shots yep. is also otherworldly. Like no one can yep. shot make like he can. No, it's insane. So 
in, in that sense, I'm 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 really trying to embrace Nick because it, clearly things improve for him in a way that they hadn't done uh, this season. Previous to seasons gone by, he looked a lot more sort of switched on and in a sense a lot more zen. But he he kind of still had those moments of kind of vulnerability where he would snap and there's nothing wrong with being vulnerable right we should stress that too but it's just that we i kind of still want him to kind of channel his negative emotion in a better way than to go and break a racket or to have a dig at an umpire or or whatever it is hawkeye it's like that's something that you can't change there's there's no point in wasting energy doing that it's I, i would just love for him just to kind of sort of close those gaps um, and, and just kind of complete this amazingly talented tennis professional that we have, but we've just never quite been able to see the full picture because so often he's his own worst enemy, but he's just, he's so close and we, yep. we're we seeing it. Like we saw it this season and I, I just, I want to like this guy, but I just can't get fully on board. No. So that's your long-winded answer. But Yeah, no, I, yeah. Look, no, I agree wholeheartedly with you, wholeheartedly. Now, Look, well, I think I, I did want to ask you quickly about Daniel Medvedev. Does he go up or down next year? Well, if the Masters finals are anything to go by, you would have to say that he's maybe in for a bit of a dip because he was absolutely awful. <laughs> he struggled. He struggled big time this year, and it, he had a kid. So you know, he he still won two titles this season, but losing that Australian Open final, and I think the role of the villain doesn't sit well with him. And I can see why, because I just think he's a fiery character. He yeah. doesn't, I don't think he wants to be the villain. He actually does seem, when he's not on court, he seems like a very gentle soul. And obviously he's got some magnificent sound bites on court <laughs> and they are magnificent. Oh, doesn't he just? You, small cat, shut your fuck up. The list goes <laughs> you on. You better shut your fuck up, okay? <laughs> <laughs> the, the list goes on, but... I just don't know what we're going to see from Daniel Medvedev next year. He's won the ATP finals. He's been number one now. He's won a slam. So I think the next thing is for him and probably Dominic Team coming back from injury, they just need to solidify themselves. We saw Team come back this year playing some pretty good tennis at the end of the year. Him and Medvedev were the two that were challenging the big three over best of five. So they just need to get themselves back. And Medvedev is obviously still there and he'll have protected draws and yeah. What have you? But I think he really needs to. He really needs to pick himself up, dust himself off. wasn't a you know wasn't a bad year, but wasn't a year that he would have hoped to have after the U.S. Open and the Australian Open final. So plenty of work to do for Daniel. Just before we do get to our predictions, I know you've given yours. We should do like a little in memoriam for the players that have retired yes. in 2022, and there've been heaps, Joel, heaps. Kevin Anderson, Aliaj Bedene. Rogerio Dutra Silva, we've seen him play at the Australian Open before. Jonathan Ehrlich was an Austra- was an Israeli doubles player. He played for years, <laughs> retired. Alejandro Gonzalez from Colombia, I watched him beat Fabio Fonini at the Australian Open first round one year. Tobias Kamke, remember him? Yeah, I remember him. He retired. Uh, Ivo Karlovic, obviously, um, or 2021 US Open, so we can count that as 21. Blaz Kavcic, Philip Kohlschreiber, another one that oh. we just saw for years go around and around and was just yeah. so consistent for... So serviceable. Blaz Kavcic, though. I remember I remember watching him on like a 
James Duckworth. 47 degree day. Yeah. <laughs> One year playing James Duckworth. Yep. Oh my God, it was hot that day. Unbelievable. Uh, Mark Lopez uh, doubles Olympic gold medal winner with Rafa. Uh, Frederick Nielsen won the 2012 Wimbledon doubles. Sam Querrey has retired, so announced uh, his last match would be at the US Open. Tommy Robredo, former top 10 player. Andreas Seppi, really disappointing the Italian Tennis Federation. Oh, that was disgraceful. Didn't give him a send off. That was quite awful. Poor, Duty Sailor. Gilles Simon, what a tournament yeah. it was for him to Warrior. finish in Paris. Joe Wilfried Songa, Juan Martin Del Potro, Sergei Stakovsky, and, well, of course, we can't forget him, mm. Roger Federer. Yeah. I'm still absolutely devastated about it, but, um, yeah, what a wonderful career it was from Roger. And Yeah, yeah just a- amazing. We've and said it many times. Yeah, we have. We have. And, yeah, obviously we're all we're – all, I'm, yeah, I'm, I thought the day would never come. Mm. Um, but I'm – so sad to see Joe Wilfred Songa go. What an absolute character he yep. was. Just so disappointed for him that he never quite got that slam. Yep. Uh, one Martin Del Potro did get one. Um, yep. And Could have had so many more. He could have had so many more. Injury crawled. I absolutely love that guy. Just a, a great example of how to carry yourself on a tennis court. And the farewell that um, that he got was uh, was just... Lovely. I, yeah. I, I teared up watching it. It was a shame that um, clearly towards the end, you know, he was visibly struggling. Um, so in that sense, it was a bit of a bitter ending. But yep. uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, yeah, we, we're going to miss those guys. We really are. This year was one that hit hard because the players of our childhood really and, yeah. and our adolescent years are, are starting to go. And um, predictions now. I yeah, know you've well, said yours. So you're going with Felix to win yes, a slam? Felix to win a slam. I am going to say. I, I don't know. I've I've got a few, but I just don't know which one would probably be the one that you can go with. It's not too easy or not too stupid. Yeah. So, I think last year I went that Daniel Medvedev would win us would would get to world number one, and he did. So next year I'm going to say Alcaraz and Sinner will finish the year both in the top five. Oh, I don't mind that one. Yep, they'll finish the year both in the top five. And, yeah, I'll, I'll just stick with that. Won't say anything else on top of that. We're going to talk about the 2022 w, WTA season right after this on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast, Val Febo and Joel Frucci here with you talking all things tennis, reviewing the 2022 ATP and WTA seasons. I got it that time. We've had a couple <laughs> of goes at that already, but um, thank God for podcasting. It is nothing, nothing is live. Everyone's tired. It is Christmas. So, um, yeah, we're just getting ready to uh, to go into a month-long or two-week-long hibernation before the United Cup starts. And now the second half of the United Cup. Joel, we've talked about the men. Now we're going to speak about the women and the 2022 WTA season that was. Iga Swiatek finishes the year a dominant 6,030 6, 30 points. Yes, my maths is correct. <laughs> Ahead of Ons Jabor in second. Jessica Pagula finishes the year at number three. Caroline Garcia, four. Arena Sabalenka, five. Sakari Gorf, Kasakina, Kudamatova and Halep round out the top. 10. It was a weird year because I guess we started with, and for the first two months, really, it was how the hell is anybody going to beat Ash? Yeah. And then and, the bomb dropped. Mm, well, it was a pretty 
big bomb as well because yeah. nobody was expecting the retirement announcement and yeah. it just kind of came out of nowhere. She posted it on her Instagram with or on her social media platforms, Casey Delacqua interviewing her and, um, yeah, just I think it left a void in many Australians' hearts because we finally had someone that was going to go on and, and really dominate the tennis world and that Australian Open win was as dominant as we have seen and I think Serena is probably the only one and maybe Sharapova and Azarenka in their absolute heydays could have done that. But it was just so remarkable. I think she played the three shortest completed matches of the Australian Open. <laughs> That's how dominant she was. So, um, yeah, we saw her retire as world number one, a three-time Grand Slam champion. Um, and then, and she hadn't lost. That was the thing. She won in Adelaide singles and doubles, and then she went on and won the Australian Open. So, finished the year undefeated. And then... Iga Swiatek kind of just took over, went on a 36-match, 37-match winning streak. I think broke Venus Williams' record for the Open era, which is absolutely staggering. That included the French Open in that run. And she was just dominant. She was dispatching everybody left, right, and centre. That was obviously ended at Wimbledon. But an amazing season from, from Iga. And I think if we talk about her, she's and the combined ages of the two number ones at the moment is younger than most people in the world. Yeah. They're, the combined age is 40. <laughs> and only one of them is legal to drink in America. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not wrong. Which is, which is quite outstanding. Igish Fiontek uh, was 67 and nine this year. She won eight titles, eight, including two grand slams at Not the bad. French and US opens. Uh, won $9,875,525. So that's not bad either. I would take that. I'll have some of that. Um, and just absolutely sensational what she was able to conjure up this season. And I think this this probably has to go down, aside from the first month and a half, as the most dominant season in recent history in terms of a world number one. It goes. It's up there with the Serenas of the world. It is. And uh, I think... She's probably got the game eager to really just sort of pick up where she left off going into next year because she's she's got it all in in her bag of uh, yep. bag of weapons and um, you know obviously we had sort of Ash as the sort of linchpin of the women's tour for for a little while and, and in some respects they kind of had a, a similar game similar yeah um, but look yeah I think it's I think it's kind of nice for the for the WTA that you know after uh, you know, we saw Serena kind of dominating for for so long, and her game was obviously was, was you know pure power, and she had she had something that a lot of the other the other women didn't have. I think it's kind of nice now that um, that you know now that sort of the the Serena kind of reign is uh, has has ended. Yeah, uh, that we've got someone like Ega who's a completely different player, um, and and she's kind of made it her own. I think it's kind of nice and. It's uh, it's quite refreshing, um, yeah. and yeah, I mean, we, we could see with her pretty early. I feel that she was she was destined for greatness. Uh, I think once once she won that French Open um, back in in twenty twenty in sort of the the depths of, of COVID, we all um, well, uh, we were shocked at the time. Well, we were shocked at the time, but I think after that, I've I've forget whether it was you or I. I remember one of us might have been on um, on uh, when we were. Uh, Doing some stuff with the tennis menu and our good friend Mark Safour, so one of us may have picked her to win at least five slams. And at that point, I think that was, might have been you. 
may have been. I can't remember. But anyway, it, it, at the at the time, it was a seemed to be a point of contention. But I, I think with the with the beauty of hindsight, I, I think she's going to absolutely smash that. Well, she's already won three and she's 21 yeah. years old. But the way she plays mentally, I think she's a click above the rest. Oh, yeah. And, and that, this the maturity. Yeah, it's the and maturity. 21. And, and you know what? The thing is, she hired a sports psych early. Yeah. And how much has that helped? Immensely. It's just taken her to this new echelon of, of, of form that nobody could even stop. And it took Elisa Cornet to play out of her skin at Wimbledon to beat her. And then, you know, she won the US Open. She only she won eight out of nine finals this year. Insane. It mm. doesn't get much better than that. So yeah. an amazing season for Miguel Fiontek. And, and look, you'd be an idiot to think that anything is going to stop her next season. I, I think she'll be thereabouts. It's going to take something unbelievable to stop her. She was a semi-finalist in Melbourne this year, lost to Danielle Collins, who played an amazing match to beat her. She was clobbering everyone, and, to be uh, fair. Well, the only one that even took Barty that won five games off Barty or six games off Barty in a set so and took her to a tiebreak. So she was the only one that could get remotely close. Um, and then you look at someone like Coco Golf, First Grand Slam final, plays so well, has a great season, and she's still so young as well, Joel. It's insane, isn't it? Like, yeah. every time we think about her, it feels like she's been around forever, but she's still early 20s. No, Coco, she's only 18. Wild. 18? All the, 18. Yeah, there you go. And she's I been, stand corrected. Like, she's, and she's already been around for three years. So she's battle-hardened. She's going to take some absolute stopping come 2023. Oh. <laughs> it's just it's crazy. She clubs the ball. And another one who... I feel desperately sorry for, in a way, because, yes, she had an unreal year. Finishes at number two. Oh, ons. The most likeable player. I reckon probably, with Federer retiring, she's probably the most likeable player up there with Rafa. Um, and to lose two Grand Slam finals in a row, and she was the favourite to win at Wimbledon, and I think got the first set in that final against Alina Rabakina, but just couldn't get the chocolates, and... Uh, and again, in the uh, US Open final, Igor Fiontek just way too good. So Ons is, she's there, she's thereabouts, had a great season. But where do you, do you see, do you see her winning one next year? I, I think she's <laughs> going to be so hard to beat at the Australian Open because of the variety. And, and she is kind of like Ash Barty and at Wimbledon as well. I think that's her, that's her chance. But what do you see her conjuring up in 23? Yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to really say because I think the the beauty of the WTA now, uh, and I guess you could argue it's been like this for a while, but certainly below Eager, I think it's a, a pretty even playing field yep. for for the most part. Like you could probably run your eye down to maybe like I don't know something like fifteen in the world. Um, well, I'm going to go through the rankings for you now. So below Sviondek, I'm going to keep going, and you tell me to stop when when you think there's someone that you definitely can't think right. win a slam, wins a slam. Jabor, Pagula, Garcia, Sabalenka, Sarkari, Gorf, Kasatkina, Kudamatova, Halep, Keys, Bencic, Badosa, Collins, Hadadmaya, Kvitova, Contevate. Probably stop at Hadadmaya, I reckon. But then um, after that... No, no disrespect to her. Yeah, but, well, yeah. I look, I, I do tend to agree, but you go after that, Kvitova, Contevate, um, or Kvitova's 1-1. One, one. Uh, Ostapenko, 18, she's 1-1. One, one. Alexandrova, Samsonova, not sure where they fit into it. Rabakina, she's won a slam. Krajikova's won a slam. Anasimova's made a Grand Slam semi-final. Victoria Azarenka is at 26, two below, a three below <laughs> her. 
Um, you know, Martina Trevisan is a Grand Slam semi-finalist. Elise Mertens is a former top 10 player. Karolina Pliskova at 31 in the world. Kai Kanepi, Isla Tomjanovic, Jill Tiekman, Aliza Cornet, Sloane Stevens is a Grand Slam champion. <laughs> that is an insanely even. Layla point. Fernandez is at 39 in the world. Naomi Osaka, 41. And then you put Bianca Andreescu, 45. Bernada <laughs> Pera, she's young. She's still got time. Emma Raducanu's around. She's oh. she's a Grand Slam champion. Gabinia Muguruza ranked 56 in the world. Can someone find me a 56-sided coin? <laughs> it's it is absolutely unbelievable. And then you've got you know you've got those dangerous floaters like Yul Niemeyer, um, Camilla Georgie, who had quite a good season herself. Yeah. She won in Miami. Sylvia would have loved it. Well, 100 percent he would. Have. <laughs> Uh, Donna Vekic, she's at 69 in the world. Marta Kostiuk, 71. There are players everywhere. The fact that Emma Raducanu is ranked 76 is absolutely ridiculous. So all of these players, on their day, can beat all of these players. So I, I'm so excited to see yeah. what, what 2023 has to hold because it is such a... I don't know. Everyone's a banana skin, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. It, it's well. I mean, you could argue it's like, are they are they sort of are they banana skins or are they all contenders within their own right? Well, they're they're probably all contenders. Yeah, but I think banana skins for each other. Well, because, yeah, exactly. Because yeah. one of them can just match up so well against the other, and then you think they're going to beat someone else, but they don't. So. Yeah. That sounds like a Mario Kart nightmare, to be honest. That top sort of oh, 70. <laughs> I, do, I do love my Mario Kart. You know that. That many so banana that, skins. Oh, yeah. But no, it's exactly right. And it's like someone, you're going towards a double item and uh-huh. you're about to get a, a couple of red shells to take first down. But then someone's left a banana right in front of those double items and that's generally me. You can ask my fiance. <laughs> um, I tend to do that to her quite a bit. <laughs> but no, it's, um, it, it's so exciting to see all of this talent on the WTA and just not knowing, I think is the fun because in sport, it's the best kind of television, best kind of reality television as well, because it is unscripted. Mm. You don't know, you you don't know what you're going to get. And and that's the beauty of it. And it's, it's the oldest cliche in the book when it comes to sport, but it is so true. And then I think you've got someone, the Renaissance of Caroline Garcia, Grand Slam, she won in Cincinnati. She made the semis of the U S open and then has come in and won the WTA finals, finishes the year at number four. She's a chance to win the Australian Open next year. I wouldn't put it past her the way she's playing. So I'm so impressed with everyone and what they've been able to do this season. But the one I feel sorry for is Alina Rabakina because she just missed out on WTA finals selection with, um, I think, by... 50 points because she didn't finish in the top 20. Unbelievably stiff. Won a slam. She should be at... So if there were no... If there were points awarded for Wimbledon, she would be ranked 7th in the world. Yeah, that's that's so unlucky. How stiff is that? <laughs> that's... Yeah. You don't have to be dead yes. to be stiff. That is... um, I think that's the old adage. But yeah, it's, it is it is unfortunate. But, you know, Kazakhstan got a Grand Slam champion. You know, they're not just known for Borat anymore. Um. <laughs> And, yeah, it's uh, – look, I thought her year was absolutely stunning as well. So I think you look at the WTA as a whole and it, and the obvious one is Sviontek as the player of the year. And then you look at Anjabur, she's probably clear second or Ash if you count the first month and a half, but you can't really go on a month. And then probably Garcia goes at number four, number three and then Pagula finishes the year at three. Like, mm. a staggering year for her as well. So, uh, look, 
there's just so much upside to to the tour this year, and yeah, it's it. Honestly, I've got no idea what what's going to be held for next season. I, I think the the matches and the possibilities are endless, and that's the that's the beauty of the WTA, isn't it? It's always had that, and it really has. And you look at um, yeah, honestly, it's it's quite unbelievable. And we've seen, you know, Ash retire, which made things. I, I think it made things really interesting and I, I thought the tour was going to open up. I didn't think it would be usurped so quickly. And then um, you got the retirements of um, CC Ballas as well, who we thought was going to, I thought originally she was going to light the world on fire, never really did. Um, Injuries again. Yeah, exactly. Um, we saw the third retirement of Kim Clusters this season. This is our little in memoriam here. Sanya Mirza, Riza Osaki, Peng Shui. I hope everything is getting sorted there because oh. that is one of the most awful situations I think we've seen it's in a tennis circle. What, what happened to her? Diabolical. Yep, it really is. And look, we're not going to get too political on this show, but yeah, it's... it's You said it perfectly. Andrea Pekovic, former top 10 player. Monica Puig, yeah. the Olympic gold medalist. Can never take what that a, away from what her. What a story. What a great was, story. Um, I remember our former co-host, Ryan Tennyson. He was a big Monica Puig <laughs> fan. He, he was very he happy was, that day. He? he loved Monica Puig. So I think uh, we shed a tear for him that day. Uh, Laura Robson, um, she retired as well. Um, and Alina Vesnina uh, and Katerina Srobotnik as well, also retiring. But I think the big one that I'm still not sure about, <laughs> Serena. Yeah. Is she gone or is she staying? What, what the hell is she doing? I'm none the wiser. I'm um, none the wiser. We've spoken about it. You know, <laughs> make up your mind. Roger said it and he did it. Everyone says it and they and they do it. They might come back after a few years, which I would have been able to respect her for that. But if you're going to retire, don't make the US Open all about you and then say, oh, no, I'm not retired yet. Yeah, yeah it's weird. It seems like she has, but yeah. Anyway, I, I mean, I look, I, I hope that... That she she does the right thing by bugger everyone else. The right thing by her. Yeah. Don't don't sort of tarnish your legacy by playing for too long, and sort of becoming one of those people that overstays their welcome and just becomes an afterthought because they've come back and you know they get belted around like yeah. a like a you know like a pinata or something. Yeah. Just you know go out on top. Exactly right, and. Then- who knows what she's going to do? The Australian Open is an event that she's owned. And I think that the fact that she's sitting just one behind Margaret Court, I think that would be eating her alive. But I don't think I don't think she's going to get there. No. I think if she hadn't have gotten pregnant when she did, and obviously I'm not sure if they were trying or what was going on there, but if she had have just held out another six months, she yeah. would have 100% equaled it at Wimbledon. Yeah, I think she would have. I but, think she would have. you know, obviously... You know, you can't help when it happens or if you're trying for it, then congratulations. But, yeah, jeez, it was oh, – yeah. she was so close. It's, yeah, it's too late now, though. But, I, yeah. I, think, I, think, I, think the, I think the sport's passed her by. I think so. And, look, and everyone's caught up. It's not like she hasn't had her chances. No, she She has. made three Grand Slam finals and didn't win a set in any of them. There was the 2018 Wimbledon, 2018 US, and 2019 US. She didn't win any of them. She's made semis in that time. She made the 2020 US Open semi-final and started that match in unbelievable fashion against Victoria Azarenka. Couldn't finish it off. So, mm, one of the more, um, I think, 
one of the more unbelievable stories that she never did get there when everybody thought five years ago that it was going to be a foregone conclusion. But mm. who would have thought that she'd still be playing six years later and, or possibly, we don't know. <laughs> possibly. Five and a half years we'll go with, that she wouldn't have gotten there. And I think everybody thought Serena was this invincible entity. Well, I thought that at a lot of points. Yeah, well, I think everybody did. You would have been stupid not to. So, yeah, um, Serena Williams, we're not sure what we're going to get, but if you have retired, then well done. Congratulations on what was (laughs) one of the most remarkable careers in tennis history and will go down as one of the most remarkable. Or good luck. Send a memo so we know. Yeah, just yeah at Breakpoint Pod, at Joel Fruch and at VFebo96, please. We would <laughs> really like to know. Um, but look, player of the year, Joel, if you had to if you had to vote, is it Sviontek? Is she the one that, that you ha- just have to go with? Uh yeah, look, probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty hard to sort of look, to look past Ega, really. Um I think, you know, in a in a in a kind of different way, I th- I think someone that's worth a bit of a shout is, and we mentioned her name in passing, is Beatriz Haddad-Meyer. Like, where did she come from? Yeah, she had a good, or, yeah. She's been, been a, good double, a good doubles player for a long time, but the fact that she just crept into the top 15, mm. um, you know, fair play to her. That's that's great. Yeah, she had an amazing season. And, um, you know, you, you look at what she was able to conjure up throughout 2022 to finish the year inside the, you know, she can get protected a protected draw yeah. into the fourth round of the Australian Open, which I think is quite, Quite amazing. She made three finals this year. She won in uh, Nottingham. She won in Birmingham. So two grass court titles. And then uh, she made the final of uh, of the WTA 1000 in Canada. Lost to Simona Halep in three. So she had an amazing season there. But she's got a lot of points to defend. Obviously was very consistent. But yeah, brilliant, yeah. brilliant season from um, Beatrice Haddad Meyer. Also made the, um, the quarterfinals in... Sorry, no, I'm just looking here. She made the um, third round in Miami as well. So... Had a good week there, but yeah, coming from just playing qualifiers at the um, at Wimbledon and the US Open in 2021 and not getting through, and it was her first Grand Slam in 2022 singles wise for three years. It's <laughs> amazing, which is unbelievable. Wimbledon 2019 to the Australian Open 2022, she had a consistent year and an amazing amazing season to boot. So brilliantly done from Beatrice Haddad Meyer. Your predictions now for 2023, Joel. What have you got for me? Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one on the on the uh, on the women's tour because because uh, anything can can happen really. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go sixty percent all American cheese. Of the top five, we're gonna have three Americans in there. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I I don't mind it. Who have you got going in? So, have so you we're got- gonna go Jesse Pagora. Mm-hmm. Gonna go Coco Goff. Yep. And. I'm going to back in crazy Danielle Collins. Actually. Okay. Yep. Well, the thing is, you look at you look at the top 40 and you've got Alison Risk or Risk Armitrage, Sloane Stevens, uh, Amanda Anasimova, Danielle Collins, Madison Keys, Coco Goff, Jessica Pagula. So that's seven. I think it's realistic. Mm. I really do. We've got two in the top seven at the moment. So I, I would not put that past you. That's actually a really good prediction. I am going to go Caroline Garcia. She's going to win a Grand Slam next year. I'd love to see that. And I hope it's the French. Oh, that'd be nice. It would be... Can you imagine the Parisians oh. if a French woman wins the Grand Slam? Yeah. Well, they love Caro, don't they? Yeah, they do. Yeah. I think everybody does. She's got the most infectious personality yeah, out there. she does. 
yeah, amazing season for her. So I reckon it's going to be Caroline. You've got three Americans to be in the top five at the end of the year or just at some point? End of the year. End of the year. Okay. Well, if it happens at some point, I'll still give you the chance for that. You, you, <laughs> you should because, yeah, you're still probably riding the coattails of picking Wozniacki to win a slam oh, yeah, or to I'm win the AO. Yeah, I'm still on that. <laughs> Five years ago, pretty much, and um, and he's still riding on those coattails. But we've got one more segment, and it's an important one because we're going to award the Benoit of the Year right after this on Breakpoint Podcast. Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform. This is Breakpoint Podcast. It is our final segment of 2022, which with a bit of a sad face, but we're going to be back in a few weeks anyway because the Australian yep. summer is right around the corner and the United Cup, as we said, is coming. So very, very excited for that. Sydney, Brisbane and Perth. Very, very keen. But Joel, yes, it Joel. is time for, well, we do the Benoit of the Week every week and... We're not going to do one this week because it's time for the Benoit of the Year. And this is, this is our favourite time of the year because we get to award someone that's had, has had a good year but also a bad year. Something unfortunate has happened. Something pleasant might have happened to them as well. You know, Benoit in true Benoit pair fashion. But the two winners, as we recount, in 2020, it was Novak Djokovic for just <laughs> his sheer variety of errors. Yeah. In 2021, the man himself won it, Benoit pair. And this year, and look, we usually would tally it. But this year we've decided to break ranks and I think we're going to change things up a little bit and we may go back to tallying it, tallying it, who knows. But this year, who does it go to? Well, yeah, this this recipient has kind of peak Benoit it. I've just made up a verb there. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's kind of a bit the best of both worlds. Peter Garrett would love this one. Um it's Hopefully he's not dancing to it. <laughs> yeah, well, probably not, but he wrote the song. Um, it's Elena Rabakina. Ah. Uh, yeah. Okay. And I like that. Yeah, so the, I guess the reasoning here is, I don't know, can you call it bittersweet? I mean, she won the biggest tennis title on planet Earth. She did. But she was in the rather unfortunate position of winning <laughs> probably the first Wimbledon title ever where there was no points. Yep, and probably no... And she missed the year in finals because of it. It's I know, so and weird. she did. She missed by 50 points. Yeah. She brought Kazakhstan a Grand Slam. She, it was an unbelievable result. Came from a set down beat on Jabour, the heavy favourite. Yeah, she came from nowhere, that event. Like, exactly. I don't think anyone expected her to win it. No, not at all. So, <laughs> poor thing has saluted. Uh, yeah. Holds that magnificent plate up and doesn't get anything for it. Well, she gets the trophy. Yeah, and she's a, she's a Wimbledon champion. Yeah, she's a Grand Slam winner. Uh, yeah, but it must be a weird feeling though. No right? points. Like, yeah. like that could have catapulted her season. And her career. Exactly. Yeah. But the good thing is she could defend her title and get 2,000 points next year. Yeah, so well, that's true. Yeah. who knows what we're going to see from Elena Rabakina. But uh, she'll get to play the first match um, on day two as the defending women's champion, which is really exciting and deservedly so. So... Alina Rabakina, our first female winner of the Benoit of the Year. So congratulations to you. You joined the ranks of Novak Djokovic and Benoit Pair. Yeah, so. and interestingly, she's she, that means she's broken ranks twice. Yep, exactly right. No points winning Wimbledon and 
no tally of them one of the years. So, yep. Yeah. <laughs> She's setting all kinds of... Um, she really is. She really is. She, I think she is she's going to be one of the serious trivia answers in yeah. the future. Well, her and Djokovic, I think, and Djokovic maybe less so considering he's won so many of them. Oh, but, well, yeah. I mean, it's just an yeah. afterthought. Oh, yeah, Novak won Wimbledon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So... Amazing season for her. Amazing season from everybody in the ATP and WTA. It was a bizarre one at times, still feeling those COVID effects but um, and, and political effects as well. But we've stuck through right until the end. And Joel, we're going to be back bigger and better than ever sure in are. 2023. And I'm looking forward to the Australian Summer of Tennis. Joel Frucci, thank you very much for your efforts this year. Thank you, Val, and bring on 2023. Very much looking forward to it. This has been Val Febo and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast. Looking forward to joining you again next year. We hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, a happy new year. And remember, if you want to keep in touch with us, you can vfebo96 for me on Twitter, Instagram, um, Twitter and Insta. Joel's the same. Uh, with Joel, or not the same as me. He's Joel, <laughs> he's Joel Fruch. Um, but also at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter and then Instagram, Breakpoint Podcast, same as Facebook. Keep in touch with us and you'll see more updates throughout the Australian Summer of Tennis right here on Breakpoint Podcast. Enjoy your festive season.